this is potentially one of my favorite podcasts I have ever done and that is because the person I'm interviewing is a woman who has been extremely dear to my own life. This has been someone I've been friends with for many years and I have been watching her incredible journey all across the world to help animals. While Sarah doesn't necessarily work directly in ocean conservation, she has worked with sea turtles and has a lot of fascinating things to say about the volunteering, about getting into the field of conservation, about how to get out into the field and actually be there with the animals, and what sacrifices you have to make to make this a reality. So we have a really fascinating chat. As you can tell, it's two friends talking. It goes for 40 minutes, but she shares so much valuable stuff for you guys. If you are interested in getting into marine biology or biology, she talks about how important education is or what other paths you can take if you want to get involved in helping save animals. Where in the world she has worked to help protect animals. That includes Costa Rica and places in Africa and how a traditional job kind of is interspersed in that and how you can really find what you're looking for if you work hard enough and sacrifice. So we talk about the good, we talk about the bad, we talk about how to find the best volunteering opportunities, how to make choices that are going to help you get to where you want to be. So for anyone who is a future marine biologist or future conservationist, or you're considering a change of career, then this is an episode for you. So check it out. Of course, if you want to help me support the work I do, make sure to head over to oceanpancake.com or send me an email, oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com. You can become a patron. You can help donate and yeah, help me do the work I do, help share the education and protect our beautiful planet. Oh yeah, and if you're a writer, photographer, videographer, editor, or anything like that, and interested in ocean-related things, make sure to stick to the end of the podcast where I have a very exciting announcement for you. Every day there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today is a very special episode for me because I'm joined by one of my long-term friends, Sarah, who is a wildlife conservationist and focuses mostly on marine animals. So thank you so much for being here with me today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to hear about everything that you've been doing basically since you graduated because we went to the same high school back in, mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and since then, I've gone on quite the journeys 
around the world. So Sarah, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got into conservation in general and then in particular into marine animals? Yeah, basically I've always really liked biology at school first. And then I decided after school to do a bachelor degree in bioveterinary sciences, uh, which is kind of like, uh, yeah, biological sciences um, focused on animals. Um, and then for my master's, I knew I wanted to specialize in wildlife and also in conservation. Yeah, so I decided to do a master's in global wildlife health and conservation, which was pretty cool. It was a one-year degree in Bristol. And yeah, like I've always really had a passion for animals since, like ever since I can remember. And so yeah, I always really felt that um, pull to to work with animals. And I like really like conservation because, like the idea I had of that job, like a wildlife conservation was like one like someone who works in the field, like rescuing animals and like you know doing something to to help the species. Um, in the long term and you know help it survive and all that and um, so yeah so that's how I kind of got into wildlife conservation I guess. And is it like that are you actually in the field out there with the species you know doing the whole Jane Goodall thing saving the creatures? <laughs> <laughs> how can I put this I think I've been like stubborn enough and like driven enough to actually stick to that yes so I'm very happy in what I do because, well, it's not easy. We'll come to that later, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not easy uh, on some aspects. But yes, I am always, well, mostly working um, in the field, um, in tropical countries, and working for animal conservation, wildlife conservation. Yeah. So I guess that's good. <laughs> I have a lot of people asking me because so many people want to get involved in conservation and wildlife and in general, all these things. Did you find that like your master's degree really helped you in terms of like the things you learned or at least getting positions in these places? Or is it possible to go down that route without the university? Okay, so I think it is possible uh, getting into it without. Um, but obviously, like with my degree, I think when I applied to um, positions that I that I um, did and I got chosen for, I think it definitely helped to have like some uh, biology and, and conservation background. But I know for sure, like I know people who like were uh, research assistants with me who had absolutely no bi background in biology or marine biology or anything, anything like that. Um, so I know it's possible to do it without. I think for people like that, the most important thing is having the motivation and the drive to, you know, be like, you know, I'm interested in doing this um, um, and they can, yeah, get into, into the field that way. Um, however, like I can only say that for like unpaid position, uh, so volunteer research assistant positions, um, that's, yeah, what um what i'm like talking about when i i talk about those people who didn't have a a background in in biology specifically so i wouldn't i don't know like probably for paid jobs and stuff you either need like a lot a lot of experience uh, which would probably be um voluntary um experience or you need like you know the the 
the university degrees and, and studies to like get a, a paid job kind of thing. I can imagine that because there is also so much competition for these roles because it is something a lot of people want to do, having anything that it is to your side. And yeah. It is so fierce, <laughs> the competition. <laughs> but um, yeah, somehow you wiggle your way into the, into the world and don't give up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what a lot of people have been saying. Um, if you guys have listened to any of the other podcast episodes with like Hannah Kish or David Gersh, there's a lot of, you know, wiggling into the things and being passionate and volunteering and doing all that stuff to kind of put in the hard hours. Um, I know your your battle to get paid positions um, was quite quite long as well. So could you share with us kind of your journey from um, basically finishing your master's uh, to where you are now? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's definitely like a step by step um, kind of approach that you have to have, and which is obviously not easy. And you have to you know like keep the motivation up and keep um, yeah that drive to 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 really like be determined and be like I do want to work in this field and so after I finished university in 2016 and I graduated oh yeah I finished in August 2016 so it has been more yeah three and a half years basically um so after um my master's what I do <laughs> I went to well first of all I, what I did was, um, so I'm from Geneva, living in Geneva. Um, so what I did first was just get like a, pay, a paid job, like nothing to do with animals or conservation, anything like that, just to save up some money. Um, and then I did my first internship, which was three months long internship in Watamu, Kenya, whoop, whoop. <laughs> which was cool. Um, and there I worked at, um, it's called Watamu Turtle Watch. So I was basically a like research assistant and like a general assistant in all of their like programs. Um, so obviously I was working with turtles. Um, and um, yeah, so I was working there. They have like a, a rescue and rehab uh, facility. And um, so a turtle rehabilitation center um, where I, I was um, working in and then, uh, you know, like taking care of the, of the turtles that were in the center on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so some cool like aspects of that was, you know, obviously like being in very, very close uh, contact to turtles, um, which is pretty nice. Um, obviously sometimes some of them didn't make it, which was a bit sad. Um, but yeah, like one of the, the cool memories I have of that is doing sea bats with turtles. <laughs> so, um, there was this one turtle that was like in the, um, admitted to the, the, the center because they had ingested plastic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. No comment. Well, I was uh, going to ask you what were some of the biggest reasons that turtles were yeah. coming to you and I was yeah. thinking plastic was one of them. Yeah so they would like ingest plastic um, and which would have terrible effects on them and um, mainly it would make them float to the like on the surface 
and they wouldn't be able to, you know, like dive down into the into the ocean to feed themselves. And um, so often they were very like emaciated and yeah, basically not in a good way. Um, but yeah, so when I was talking about the sea bass, like that was pretty cool. It was like when the turtles were like back on the, you know, the recovery um, route and we would actually take them out of their like tanks in the center and we would take them out to the to the ocean and literally like train them well not train them but you know like wait like uh, let them uh, exercise their flippers and you would literally like be swimming next to this turtle and be like come on turtle you can do this <laughs> um so that was pretty cool um and then they also like an another patient we had um they had fibropapillomatosis um i think i said that right um <laughs> sounds right <laughs> yeah which is this um condition that they have it's basically like they have growths on all the like soft parts of their body so it could be like i saw one which had like growth in its eye and um so yeah it basically has like yeah either on the flippers or the eyes or the head um, and it's really sad and unfortunately that one had to be had to be put down because it's just really complicated to, to treat um, so yeah um, and then they had another another like program which was um, like the rescue bit and that one was really cool I participated in that uh, quite a bit so basically with the Watamu Turtle Watch they work with really closely with the, the local fishermen. Um, so they really work with their community and every time that, um, you know, one of their like fishermen they worked with had a turtle caught in their net, they would call us up and they'd be, they'd be like, yeah, we have, a, we have this turtle. So then we would go and like get them. Um, there was a system of like remuneration. So they, re they didn't get paid a lot. Like it's really, compared to what they would make like if they sold the turtle um, you know for their meat or shell or whatever it was really like absolutely nothing um, so that was really cool to see that their work was really you know like effective in that way mm -hmm. um, and so yeah they would get a little like um, a little something to say like thanks for not killing this turtle basically <laughs> um, and we would then go and either like take it back to the center, the rehab center, if it was like injured or if it needed treatment, or we would like most often, like more often than not, um, release it back straight back to the sea. So that was a really like cool moments as well. And just, you know, freeing turtles and watch them waddle back to, to sea. That was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that was the like Kenya bit. And then, after like a few months after that um i applied to be a research assistant at a pacquari nature reserve in costa rica which uh, also works with uh, sea turtles different species though in in kenya i was working with hawksbills and greens and in costa rica they mostly worked with um leatherbacks so the, the largest of the, the turtle species. I've never and seen one. I'm still yeah. so, so amazing. They're so, so impressive, really. Like when you stand next to it, you're like, whoa. How big do they um, get? Like how could you describe so, it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the average, the average um, uh, like carapace length, although they don't have like a, a, um, 
Uh, they don't have a like a carapace like uh, greens and hawksbills do. Um, the average length is 1.5 meters. Wow. Um, so that's like excluding the head and like the tail um, or back flippers, anything like that. So I guess you could add another maybe like 30 centimeters to include all of that um, rest of the stuff. So they're pretty like massive, really. And then the average uh, width of the, of the carapace was, I think, like 1.11 meters wow and um, they're pretty 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 big and um, so yeah so when I was a research assistant uh, in Costa Rica I was working it was also a different kind of work because I was working on like night patrols and um, which was really cool and um, so that was more work like you know patrolling the beach every night and um, with usually with like a group of uh, tourists or visitors or like school kids um, and we would basically go out uh, looking for nesting females. Um, and then every time that we, we would see one, we would like um, collect all sorts of data on the female itself, like on the mother and on the, the eggs, like how many eggs it laid. Um, we would also relocalize, um, relocate, sorry. <laughs> relocalize. <laughs> I said a shit word. Uh, so yeah, so we'd also um, relocate nests um, to to safer spots because um, there were several issues and several like threats to to sea turtle nests uh, on that beach. Uh, one of them is uh, beach erosion. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the the females and mamas would um, choose a spot that isn't like ideal for their nest, and the sea could easily you know like get to it and basically just drown the eggs and those eggs just would not hatch. Yeah. Um, and another big problem that they have is poaching. Mm -hmm. So in Costa Rica, people, um, uh, and not only in Costa Rica, in, in many, many different countries, um, they um, sometimes eat eggs. Yeah. Um, so people would actually go on the beach and you know, steal those, those nests to go and like, sell the eggs um, you know, just in the villages nearby. Um, so yeah, so we would work against that basically. Um, and then, so I was there for, that was in 2018. Yeah, last year I was there for three months initially. And then I came back to Geneva and I missed it so much that I actually went back for an extra month. And <laughs> um, four months in total last year. And then the really cool thing um, about that is, so I was a, a research assistant there last year, and because they, you know, they like saw how I worked and, and, and everything, they, I applied for, like to be the coordinator, the research assistant uh, coordinator um, this year. Um, and yeah, I got that opportunity. And that was my first paid opportunity, even though it wasn't like a lot. Um, you know, I, I slowly like I'm going up the, the ladder, which is great. Like, you know, feel some kind of, um, of uh, you know, reward for, for all my efforts. And so that was this year and I was there for eight months in total um, at the same uh, reserve, obviously, at Aquaria Nature Reserve um, in Costa Rica. So that was this year and I just came back in October um of 2019 this year um and yeah 
I was back home looking for a job. And well, now I, I'm, well, I'll keep you posted, but um, <laughs> yeah, I got, a, I got a, I found a new um, opportunity um, at another turtle project, uh, also in Costa Rica. So I'll be going there very soon. That's amazing. So yeah. Wow. Sorry for that long <laughs> No, don't be sorry at all. That's, that's, that's the thing. I've only been seeing like the photos of you traveling and just um, occasionally, you know, those pop-ups of the, like you with a turtle or some beautiful sunset mm -hmm. photos. And I think it's quite yeah. similar in a lot of ways where when I was in Africa, you know, just the random photo on a deserted mm -hmm. island somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not really good at uh, keeping everyone posted but yeah well you were saying that it's not easy and I think that's one of the things that um one of the reasons it's not easy right it's a lot of these yeah. conservation jobs are in extremely remote areas <laughs> in the world and uh you know while it's beautiful and tropical it is quite isolated so uh, mm -hmm. I, I know you had hardly like any internet or anything while you were in um some one of the Costa Rica trips or maybe even both so could you could you just share with us a bit like what did your day-to-day -day look like um like on your last turtle work experience yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so the place had um some internet it wasn't like the be like the best um connection obviously um but yeah it was basically it's it's kind of it's not an island but it's like uh, completely surrounded by like canals um so the place itself is super isolated so you couldn't just you know like go one day and just be like you know i feel like going into town and like you know go buy myself an ice cream or something like those kind of, uh, of things were were not possible also like the, the you definitely were there to like work every day um, so you had like time off, obviously, but yeah, it was very like isolated place, like the internet connection. They had some, but it wasn't like the, the you know, the best. Like, you know, it's when you go, I think. Speaking, speaking of internet connection, it's breaking yeah, up now. When you go. One second, our internet's breaking up now. I think it's oh. very topical. Um. <laughs> All right, you're back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Where should I start again? <laughs> oh, just with how bad the internet connection was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the internet connection wasn't great, but you know, it's not much better where we live. So, you know, that's okay. Um yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, so yeah, it's basically it was a very I say it, but what I was saying is, you know, the the types of people who like when you go there and you get accepted first of all when you apply it's not like you go there thinking that you're gonna have like all the luxuries that you have when you're home mm -hmm. or you know like where whatever whatever country you're from and um, so i really did not like miss um those luxuries i'd say because it's all about like meeting like you know when you're there with like all these other research assistants you just make really strong connections um, and just on a day-to-day -day basis, you would just be, you know, with your team all day and like doing the work, which was very tiring because night work is, uh, yeah, quite weird for your sleep cycle. 
Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's all about like the people you're with, and you know, usually all those people you're with, they you all have like you know uh, things in common. First of all, like you know, all the people who go there, you already have something in common with all of those people, yeah. um, which is um, you know a love for like animals, wildlife, conservation. Um, and what was cool about that reserve is also we, it was like basically a reserve of like made of uh, like tropical forest so like on a day-to-day -day basis you would see like pelicans flying over um sloths in trees um oh. like sometimes you would see like jaguar footprints i never got to see an actual jaguar um but i saw the footprints on the beach and so you know it was kind of that like um you know that tropical um yeah tropical country living in yeah, yeah in like this really amazing place and like you know i saw like toucans i saw um all kind like kinkajous all kinds of animals and so it was pretty cool how many people were in one of these like turtle facilities yeah and so the program where um like last year when i was there we were a total of 12 um assistants at any time so yeah it's pretty cool um obviously you don't get like along with everyone but you definitely <laughs> make like really really strong connections uh, with a few people so that was really cool for me that's great and yeah. there's people i'm guessing from all over the world and you know all sorts of experience yeah. levels and ages and everything mm -hmm. so the... yeah exactly so like i when I was there as a research assistant last year, um, there were a couple of Spanish people, obviously for like, you know, the language um, reason, uh, but there was like an English girl, a French girl, um, people from the United States. Um, yeah, I mean, people from really like all over the world. And this year when I, when I was there for, as a coordinator, you know, there was one person that came from Australia. So, you know, people come from far away. Yeah, people come from really far away and and yeah, you get to meet people from all over the world basically, which is nice. And in terms of actually getting there and living there, what what should people kind of expect in a lot of these conservation volunteering opportunities financially? Like, did you have to pay for your flights to get there? Did you get paid while you were there? Well, I, I know you didn't want well, volunteering, but do you have to pay to be there? Um, you know, food, accommodation, that kind of stuff. So financially, what, what yeah. should people expect? <laughs> yeah. So, so definitely in this field, the big sacrifice you make is on a fina financial like um, point of view. Yeah. And that's definitely. But I think I think everyone knows that. You know, it's like no one goes into conservation thinking they're gonna make the big bucks. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so the financial aspect is definitely the big sacrifice that you're going to make. Um, it's definitely, you know, like possible to get paid um, at some point, but you, I don't know anyone who has started off getting paid straight away. So everyone that I, like even my, every time, like my, I would talk to my bosses and all of them started as assistants, uh, volunteers. Um, so that's really like basically the way to to get into into this field um, so my first experience in Kenya um, I paid for my flights and then I had to pay a, a, like a small 
uh, like volunteering fee um, for my um, accommodation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went to Costa Rica last year as an assistant, they provided um, like food and accommodation for me, but I did have to pay for my flights. Mm-hmm. So it was a little like step up. And then <laughs> this year when I got the, the coordinator and the field coordinator uh, job, I still paid for my flights, and but I got a little like a stipend, and then my food and accommodation was still like included. So the only thing that I paid for it was my flights, but then I got a, a, a small stipend every month. Um, so I didn't like you know um, lose any money going there, and um, this year, but I didn't make a lot, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But it helps if you're not losing any money or anything like that. Um, yeah, like at least, I think at least breaking even is, you know, a good thing. Or, you know, like when you at least, like if places offer you food and accommodation, like you don't have any costs while you're there. Yeah. Um, except like you pay for your flights. I think that's, you know, that's like a good um, scenario. Not ideal, but it's it's all right. Yeah. Yeah, but realistically, so many of the places that I've spoken to or looked into or other people have gone to, you do have to pay that certain amount because that does pay for, you know, the paid staff and the accommodation and the food. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. behind the scenes going on that does need money. And unfortunately, conservation doesn't get a lot of funding. So. Yes, that's one of my big frustrations in life. <laughs> Yeah, because I think it's such a like important field, and like so many people like want to do the work, but like obviously you know we want to feel, you know that our work is like, you know paid at it at its like just value, you know. Yeah. And so I definitely hope that in the future, in the near future, and you know more funding goes into into conservation because I think it's just so important. Like when you see like how the world is today, you just, you know, all the environment and the conservation, wildlife, everything, they definitely need like more funding than they're getting this um, at this time. I think. Definitely. I, I'm pretty happy, like in Australia, we are getting some movement into yeah. a better direction. But I mean, currently, you know, Queensland and New South Wales are on fire, you know, like the, I, I don't know, it's like hundreds of square kilometers, like, basically mm-hmm. the size of london which has been completely burnt down which has destroyed yeah. enormous mm-hmm. amounts of habitats for koalas and everything but there is more funding now going into like um conservation of the great bear reef and i was just looking this up yesterday for grants and stuff there are massive grants for any like agricultural organizations who want to be more green and sustainable um so there is some there is some positivity, but again, this is Australia, which is one of the richest countries in the world. Yeah. So even if they're so far behind, how are you know um, less you know developed countries? Is that is that yeah the, yeah like less well off countries? Yeah. yeah yeah. When majority of the populations there, you know, are still just trying to find enough food to live. So it makes sense that they, there's not that much money to go into saving animals. Mm -hmm. That's why it's really cool to hear that those fishermen were actually calling you guys and being like, Hey, we have a turtle uh, rather than eating it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's positive. Yeah. Um, 
yeah those are definitely like example of like long-term working relationships with like um the communities you you live in and um, so that was cool yeah um i wanted to also ask did you ever feel unsafe in any of the like areas that you lived or worked in because you know you're not exactly in you know europe or something that you're very familiar yeah. with you know the languages are different the culture is different did you ever struggle mm-hmm. with that kind of aspect um so in my personal experience i never felt unsafe yeah. um and you know i i also like speak spanish so when i went to, to costa rica i already like spoke spanish and so that definitely helps so, like when you're you know on your days off and you're like traveling around the country and you usually like go with someone anyway like a friend um but i never have felt um unsafe um in all the places that i that i worked in which is you know really cool um but yeah costa rica is like a super super cool country um and it's actually really really like uh, geared towards uh, tourists like they treat their their tourists like really well their like infrastructure for tourism is really really like on the ball um so yeah so i've never felt like unsafe in all the places i i was in that's great and you're you're probably going back to costa rica then so i'm guessing that's going to be fun next year yeah. for another yeah another year <laughs> Um, what were some of the other challenges that you found in terms of the job? Apart from the financial. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so the financial is like the biggest one. Um, then, I mean, obviously you do meet people um, like in the places you're at. Um, but obviously, you know, like, you know, family and friends from back home. Um, I mean, you can, you know, um keep contact uh you know with the internet and like uh you know call them once in a while um but yeah that's like something to consider like you're not you know able to like talk to them every day um but yeah you know like some people don't have a like really a problem with that other people like people who are like very very close to their family I i think maybe they would struggle a little bit but you know it definitely helps um when you have like a good group of people with you um over there because everyone is is in like the same boat um and you definitely you know you get to meet like local people you get to meet like people international people from all over the world that are in your position um so that's like one thing to consider i think um i think for me like just the benefits of like being there and like really doing what i what i love just was just you know like took over so much for me and I was just you know just happy to be there and so all the sacrifices that I had to make they were I'd say they they were definitely worth it because I was you know just in a you know living in Kenya or Costa Rica and meeting some cool people and you know I was yeah quite happy so for me it was okay (laughs) yeah I think it's it takes a particular type of person to be able to do that kind of stuff and um, mm-hmm. it sounds so amazing I would love to go to Costa Rica I still haven't really gotten to like Central or South America so that's one of my yeah must yeah I mean last year when I went last year it was my first time in Central America so it was a whole part of the world um so yeah <laughs>
sounds really good. Um, do you have any kind of words of advice for people who do want to help out, help the causes or um, how, how can people best find, you know, volunteering um, opportunities for them or what could they write in their resume to kind of help their chances of getting involved? Is there any tips you have as someone who's a bit of a veteran in the space now? And <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, you know, there, if you're just starting out, I think, as I said before, the way to start out in this field is definitely um, doing like some kind of volunteering um, you know, try to find a place. Um, uh, it is difficult, but a place where you don't have to like pay to be a volunteer. Um, usually um, I found that if you stay there, um, you know, kind of long-term, like if we're talking about like months, um, you're more likely to have you know, them give you food and accommodation for your time. Um, but you, yeah, you'll probably have to like pay for your flight, but maybe you won't have to like pay a volunteer fee. Whereas I know that if you go for, you know, like anything under a month, it's probably, you know, very likely that you will have to pay some kind of a volunteer fee just because like for the organization itself, you know, if they have someone who comes for like months on end, it's, you know, for them, it's like good, you know, good value work. And they, you know, they're able to, you know, show their, their appreciation um, by giving you like food and accommodation. Yeah. Um, but if you could go for like less than a month, I would say, you know, for an organization, it's kind of, you know, they put a lot of work into you as well because they like train you. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, it's probably more likely than not that you'll have to like pay some kind of fee um but yeah uh, looking for opportunities i would say definitely like well first of all if you have any contacts uh, definitely make your like contacts work if you don't um i would say just like don't be afraid to like shoot people emails and just send emails around and definitely like i at some point in my like years ago I was kind of, you know, like that person that was like, oh, you know, a little bit shy, like not, you know, not daring to like just send off an email and be like, hey, do you have like an opportunity for me? And um, but just, you know, if you never ask, then you will never get an answer, you know? Yeah. So if the answer is no, then it is no. But if you if you just send them an email and it's like, yeah, we do like um, like volunteer research assistant positions or whatever. Um, you know, maybe you'll, you'll get that. So I'd say definitely like, don't be afraid to just like send people um, emails um, and just, you know, ask if they have anything that you're interested in. Um, yeah. No, that's great. Cause I think a lot of people are afraid, like, what do I have to offer or, you know, that, that they'll yeah. get that rejection. But again, the worst thing that will happen is you get a no. And even in that case, you know, you put yourself out there and the person might remember you in the future, potentially, if you wrote a really nice email. Yeah. Um, I think it's also really important <laughs> to, you know, take the time and write an email and explain why you want to work with that um, organization and not just copy and paste some generic thing, like do some research into the background, you know, what, why you want yeah, to Yeah, like definitely, and, definitely like, like why you want to work with them and like what you're interested in why you're contacted why you're contacting them in particular like yeah i think that's really important to show like you know the why and your yeah. motivation 
the why. That's very good <laughs> advice, Sarah. Thank you. Um, and I think I am going to finish this podcast off with the question that I ask everyone, every one of my guests, which is if you could give, you know, people who want to help our oceans or our planet in general, one piece of advice that they can start doing now or today, what would it be um, to help protect our wildlife? Yeah. Um, so I think for like the ocean protection um, question, um, you know, there are th things that you obviously like when you don't live near the ocean, you, mm -hmm. you're kind of like drawing think like, you know, that's like something like, what can I do to help it? But really, you know, things that you can do in your everyday life sometimes will have an impact. Um, so I would say, you know, like, first of all, just, you know, learn about, I, I would say, learn about the ocean, learn about like marine species, learn about the plastic issue, learn about, if you learn about things, then you'll have information and you'll be able to, you know, like, make changes in your life or like take decisions and be like okay maybe i'm gonna you know stop using single use plastic or i'm gonna you know stop buying so many like new things that come from so far away um so i would say you know like in yeah you know, like educate yourself um, and i'm not talking about like university or like school or anything you know you can do like personal education and um, so educate yourself and then yeah you can make the, those small changes to your life which you know aren't like big changes um and like down the road like you'll somehow have an impact um a positive impact for the environment and the oceans um so yeah i think pl the plastic issue is definitely a big one um so whatever you can do to you know help that um will yeah, help the marine species in the end and and all of that. So yeah. <laughs> Definitely. The less plastic you use, the less chance of a turtle has of ingesting it and then end up floating on the surface. So just next time you see some single use plastic, just think of that poor floating turtle. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I actually saw that like firsthand and you know, when you actually see it, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, just makes the problem like real and you, you're like visualizing it you're like okay there's a problem here and like we need to really like do something about it um so yeah <laughs> yeah I saw it for the first time as well this year when I was in Cairns in one of their um turtle hospitals and they were just floating on the surface and um yeah, yeah. they told me that they gave the turtles laxatives to try and pass the mm -hmm. yeah plastic yeah um but some of yeah. them were there for you know like months and months and they still couldn't dive down and that makes them also really yeah. susceptible to like attacks but also in australia where there's a lot of boats they get hit by boats a lot um so yeah mm -hmm. that's not great um, yeah <laughs> anyway sad poor turtles yeah <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and joining me on the podcast. And hopefully we can have you back maybe next year and you can tell us a bit more about how Costa Rica was again and if there is anything new you learned or anything like that. Um, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Um, and yeah, anytime. <laughs> I'll be back. 
you once again so much, Sarah, for being here with me today. It was so good to catch up and I cannot wait to hear what the world brings for you next year. As always, I want to thank Graham Mose for providing the tunes for this podcast. If you guys live in Brisbane, Australia, make sure to check him out. Otherwise, you can find him online at Graham Mose Music. He is pretty cool uh, and he makes some funky beats with his band Fat Picnic as well. I know how great is that name. Otherwise, for all you ocean lovers, I am looking for people who are photographers, videographers, and people interested in ocean conservation, whether you are a writer, an editor, send me an email, oceanpancakepodcast at gmail.com. I want you to get involved and help me out in this mission. I'll see you guys next time.